As you have been hearing, today marks the first Sunday in Advent, and uh, our tradition holds that we light the first of three purple candles, and this first candle is said to represent hope. And so we might begin our time together today by noticing that in our present age, hope is a complicated word. Uh, 2023 was the worst year on climate for, uh, on record for climate disasters, according to scientists. Uh, let's notice together that there, there are atrocious human rights violations taking place here in the U.S. and around the world. The Red Cross called this past year a year of vast humanitarian need with wars and uh, the, the displacement of refugees by the millions and food insecurity around the world. And there are more people on the planet living within 50 kilometers of zones of violence than ever before in history. In our present age, hope is a complicated word. So as Cole Arthur Riley puts it, we need help to hold on to hope, to protect it, to nurture it, to wonder about it together. Because most days, the pain of being human can feel like too much. There's too much tragedy. There's too much loss. There's too much of our planet that's melting and drying up and catching fire. And so perhaps a question to begin our reflection this first Sunday of Advent might be this. What are we hoping for? What are we hoping for individually and collectively as a Vox community in the coming days and weeks and months? What are you hoping for yourself and for your loved ones this holiday season? How would you simplify that down to a single word or phrase? So I'm going to invite you to turn to a neighbor and ask them this question, what are you hoping for? And I'll give us a moment and then bring us back together again. Okay, let's hear from a few of you. Such good conversation happening right now. <laughs> let's hear from a few of you. In a word or a phrase, just call it out. Let's hear some of what you're hoping for. Christmas puppy. Yes. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Call it out. Rest. Rest, please. Peace. Peace. Contentment. Contentment, yeah. One more. Connection. Connection. Uh, hold on to what surfaced for you in that conversation. Uh, the word hope in Greek peace. It holds this sense of something not yet here, something we trust is coming, something we're waiting for with such confidence that our posture toward it is already one of welcome. It's a pregnant welcome. Something is being birthed, and we can feel it on the inside. So we're preparing ourselves to embrace it the moment it emerges. And the big idea I want to invite us to consider today is this. Comfort is coming. I've heard it said that hope means hold on, pain ends. Hold on, pain ends. And I'm going to invite us to reflect on that idea today because it's true, pain always ends one way or the other. Therefore, suffering is a function of time. It's the not knowing when it will end that makes pain feel intolerable. And 
We don't know when the war will end. We don't know when the fire will be extinguished. We don't know when the heartache will heal or when it's really truly the end. We don't know how quickly relief will come. So we need help holding on until that moment because much of life is really painful. That's the core message of this homily. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> it hurts to be human. We are most of us born into pain. We live with pain much of our lives. And when we die, for most of us, it will be in a painful way. So that's it. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> but let's, let's notice together that it's in the context of pain that hope is worthy of our attention. And I want to suggest today that as much as it hurts to be human, it is worth holding on. It's worth not giving up on hope. It's worth doing everything in our power to change what we can, to protect the planet, to end violence, to welcome refugees. It's worth hoping and anticipating and preparing ourselves to embrace a comfort that we trust is coming. Because pain ends, suffering eases, pages turn, seasons change, wounds heal, love will deepen and expand in us if we can find a way to hold on. So Vox friends, on this first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope, in the midst of pain, which many of us will find ourselves in this holiday season, this is the question, what helps us hold on? Our text today from 1 Corinthians invites us to reflect on this, and as we go along, I'll offer some really concrete ideas of how we can help one another hold on to hope when we find it difficult to imagine anything other than the pain we're experiencing. So we're here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, where we read this. Grace and peace from our loving God and our Savior Jesus Christ. I continually thank my God for you because of the gift bestowed on you in Christ Jesus. So here's the first idea. Being loved helps us hold on. And loved in a way that is gracious and peaceful. Being loved in a way we don't have to earn or fight for. Loved in a way we don't have to hustle or pay for. Being loved like that inspires us to hope. And I have experienced being loved like that here in this community. And in uh, seasons of intense pain, one recently, about three years ago, uh, you have been the difference that made a difference in my life. I was reminded of that a couple of weeks ago at the Vox retreat, which was so wonderful, by the way. <laughs> And uh, thank all of you who made that possible. I had to leave early, but I hear there was a silent disco the last night. And the community got a treat. Many of you know this little bit of Vox culture. About once a year, Waylon Lee will hip hop. <laughs> with people he trusts. And I hear that Saturday night was one of those magic moments. And I'm so sorry that I missed it. But um, can we just give a round of thanks to everyone who made the retreat possible, especially Caroline and Eric and his folks and everyone. So 
Um, I arrived Friday night and early Saturday morning I woke up and went into the dining hall and, to start the coffee. And one of the fun parts of the Vox Retreat is you get to see who the night people are and who the morning people are. And there are not that many of us morning people. <laughs> but um, John Houghton-Roth and I were some of the first early risers. And he and I were getting the tables ready for breakfast and we started chatting. And before I knew it, we were swapping stories about our worst seasons of life, like moments of our worst pain. <laughs> and it may not sound like a great conversation, but um, I was really moved by it, and I'm, I'm still really moved by thinking about it now. John remembered a time a while back that when I had shared in a homily here uh, about a season when I was in immense pain about three years ago, it seemed then, like, the pain would never end. And uh, sometime during those agonizing months, I was talking with a friend, and I said, um, I think I need to go out into the wilderness. And I had the idea that what I needed to do was simply walk out into the wilderness with nothing. Because that's how I felt on the inside. Like, no shelter, no supplies, no tea, no light, no comfort. The pain I was in at that time felt crushing on the inside. And I had this idea that um, if somehow I could get my outsides to match my insides, that I could apply whatever helped me survive my outsides to my insides, or I just wouldn't survive either one. <laughs> and that would be its own kind of poetry or congruence or something. So three years ago on New Year's Eve, I hiked into Pernalis Falls into the primitive zone, far out beyond the primitive zone, where just there was no one. And I had no gear, no phone, no light, no food, no supplies. I had brought with me two things, a flashlight and a water bottle, because I had promised Rachel Lee that I would bring those two things. <laughs> but I wasn't there to camp or sleep or be comfortable. I was working out something about hope, about trust, about congruence. I was almost daring God to crush me bodily the way that I felt crushed inside. And I wanted as little as possible between me and God, between me and the forces of nature. And uh, that night there was very little. <laughs> it was dark, I was cold. Uh, spending a solitary night in the woods may be normal for some of you, it's not for me. <laughs> um, the bugs were intense, it rained, I cried, I shivered, I was scared of the animals wrestling in the background. I found a flat rock on the side of a cliff and I waited and I waited and I waited for the sun to come. And it did, because it always does. <laughs> That's the rhythm of the natural world. The planet turns and night always ends. I did three solitary wilderness nights that winter. And every time when the sun would finally come at last, it was glorious. <laughs> finally feeling the warmth and comfort and relief on my arms and face. And love is like that. Grace and peace and love can feel like that, comforting like the sun, 
And the presence of that kind of love can help us hold on in the midst of pain. For much of 2020 and 2021, our Vox community was in pain. We were waiting and waiting for the sun to come up. And we didn't know when it would. Would the pandemic lift and comfort come after that? Would we heal from the pain of losing dear friends, the resignation of two of our pastors, the death of beloved community members, Becky and Terry? We endured a long night together as a community. And then we met Christopher, and Brandon joined the team, and Vanessa, and now Caroline. And the sun did come, and it has been glorious, feeling their warmth and comfort and a relief we didn't know was possible, a love that is gracious and peaceful. It's that kind of love. It's the kind of love that's at the heart of the story of Jesus, a story of love coming near and leaving for us a pattern of love to follow, a love we can hope for, a love we don't have to earn or fight, a love we don't have to hustle or pay for. It's the kind of love which, when we feel it, can help us hold on. So perhaps a question for us to reflect on might be this, who embodies that kind of love for you? And make note of who that person is. If someone just leapt to your mind, make note of that. That person is a gift to you. And perhaps this holiday season, consider shifting around some time to connect with that person. Perhaps even consider swapping stories of your worst seasons, like the times you've been in the most pain. It can be more enjoyable than you think. <laughs> All right, so our text continues with this. In whom you have been richly endowed with every gift of speech and knowledge. In the same way, the testimony about Christ has been so confirmed among you. So I know we're right in the middle of this passage, so it's sort of we're zeroing in on this idea. Uh, this idea that being reminded of the testimony about Christ, the stories we've been told about Jesus, can help us hold on. It's being reminded of the pain that Jesus lived through that can inspire us to hope. It's being reminded that we are experiencing something common to every human. Kristen Neff is a researcher you may know at UT. She does work in the area of self-compassion. And she explains that one of the ways we hold on in the midst of pain is to be reminded we're not alone, that the pain we're experiencing is common to all of humanity. And here's how she describes this reminder. When we feel ashamed or inadequate because we're in pain, we're more likely to feel isolated and disconnected. It's as if the rest of humanity doesn't even exist. Somehow it feels like I'm the only one who is being dumped, proven wrong, or humiliated. We suffer and we feel all alone in our suffering. The recognition of common humanity allows us to be less judgmental of our pain. Self-compassionate people tend to be gentle with themselves when confronted with painful experiences. All humans suffer. Therefore, self-compassion involves recognizing that suffering and personal inadequacy is 
part of the shared human experience. As we reflect on the story of Jesus this Advent season, we're reminded that pain is universal and common to all of humanity because it's so hard living in a human body. (laughs) These bodies hurt physically and emotionally and relationally. And it may help to be reminded there's a social physical pain overlap, meaning the brain doesn't distinguish between social pain and physical pain. Both travel along the same neural pathways. And that may help us make sense of why social rejection is so painful. (laughs) Even when we're physically okay or safe, relational hurt feels like it could kill us. And that's by design. That's how the human brain is wired. And sometimes when we're experiencing that, all we can do is help one another hold on in the midst of that pain. And it may feel like we're dying. And also, when we feel that way, it's possible something important is happening on the inside of us that we may not even imagine. Not long ago, I was talking with a friend and she mentioned something about caterpillars that I had never learned. (laughs) She said, inside a cocoon, the caterpillar does not simply rearrange itself into a moth or a butterfly. You may know this. It's way more disgusting than that. (laughs) (laughs) The caterpillar's body inside the cocoon liquefies into, right, into caterpillar soup. That's how the scientists refer to it. It's this sticky, smelly goop. And here's how one article explains it. (laughs) As children, many of us learn about the process by which a caterpillar morphs into a butterfly. The story usually goes, one day the caterpillar stops eating, hangs upside down from a twig, and spins itself a cocoon. Within its protective casing, the caterpillar transforms its body. But what does that transformation entail? First, the caterpillar has to digest itself. (laughs) During that process, if we were to cut open a cocoon, which don't do that, but if we were, caterpillar soup would ooze out. And within that nutrient-rich ooze are these special cells called imaginal cells. And these contain all the ingredients necessary to make a butterfly or moth. Cells to make the wings, to make the legs, to make the antenna, and so forth. Y'all. First, the caterpillar has to digest itself. <laughs> when, when, my, when that friend told me that, what, what she actually said was, when the caterpillar forms a cocoon, it's preparing to die. It's building a tomb. And perhaps being reminded of that can be a form of comfort. <laughs> this is the natural rhythm of life. This is the pattern we find in the story of Jesus. What feels like it will kill us sometimes transforms us. So uh, a question for us to reflect on in the coming weeks might be this. Which parts of life feel like caterpillar soup <laughs> right now? And how might we let one another know when we're feeling dissolved on the inside, (laughs) when we feel like the pain might kill us? Because sometimes the pain will feel like too much. Sometimes it will feel too difficult to hold on. 
And in times like that, we will need one another's help in an even more concrete way. So this is the idea that our text wraps up with. We read that in this same way, the testimony about Christ has been so confirmed among you that you lack no spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is the third idea, that being in community can help us hold on. Because being rooted in a community of trusted friends can give us what we may be lacking in times of pain. Gifts we may be lacking physically or emotionally or relationally. And I feel indebted to this community because in that season of agony three years ago, you gave me things I was lacking. The comfort of rhythm and ritual and repetition and predictability. And the knowledge that there would always be a place where I could connect with familiar and loving people. And uh, think back with me to that terrible ice storm in February of 2021. I'm reminded of how myself and along with so many of us, we lacked many things that week. (laughs) Heat and water and power and food. And that was a painful week. I had no idea when comfort was gonna come. That week, this young live oak in the backyard was bent almost to the ground under the weight of the ice and the freezing temperatures. And that's how I felt, (laughs) not just that week, but much of that whole season on the inside. You may remember the ice storm hit Austin that year on a Monday. But for me, the day before the storm hit was even more impactful because that day represents a turning point in this long season of pain, of grief and loss that I was personally experiencing that season. I had held on through the holidays and through New Year and through January. And you know when you're feeling that way, just like making it through every day is so taxing on your body. And uh, the pain I was in was unreal. I feel the opposite today, (laughs) three years later. But back then I could not imagine feeling the way I do today. And I was finding it increasingly more difficult to hold on. And so as February approached, I had started letting friends close to me know I wasn't okay. I didn't know how to speak about it, but I managed somehow to say I needed help. Speaking with trusted friends in community can help us hold on. Sometimes it's the only thing we can do. And also, let's acknowledge that when we are in the midst of intense pain, speaking about it can feel impossible. Sam and Carol Lee helped me. They uh, printed out questions and quotes and poems and prayers. And the Sunday right before that ice storm, we gathered on Rachel and Waylon's back porch, and Jen and Harmon were there, and Karen sang. And uh, they helped me speak about the grief and sadness I was feeling, um, about the anger over things I wished had gone differently, and the gratitude I felt for things I loved and would miss. 
the whole experience was transformative. That grief ritual, it didn't end the pain, but it changed the way I was experiencing it. Speaking with a few trusted friends can end up making the difference. It made a difference in my capacity to keep holding on to my life values, to hold on to my commitment to treat myself and others with kindness, uh, to hold on to my desire to not act impulsively or destructively in my desperation to feel better. And so perhaps a closing question for us might be this. What pain can you speak about here with us? And when someone trusts us to speak about their pain with us, how might we respond? I have a suggestion. And this will be a way of closing our time today. When someone courageously shares their pain with us, a tremendously helpful response can be swearing. <laughs> it may be a little polarizing to suggest this from the pulpit, but even, <laughs> even if you're not someone who swears regularly, you might just find a word. Like, it can be a mild one, but just keep it in your back pocket. There's good research behind the idea that <laughs> swearing can be a loving and very effective way of helping someone hold on in the midst of pain. I don't think that's my phone, but tell me if it is. My mom is right here next to my... Okay. Um, so uh, I want to share with you just a, a minute of uh, this research on this idea that swearing can be a helpful way uh, to respond to someone in pain. So take a listen. When we swear, what are we trying to accomplish? Here's a clue. In 2017, an international group of researchers ran a series of experiments to analyze the relationship between profanity and honesty. They found that people who swear are perceived as more authentic. Here again is John McWhorter. Part of becoming close to people, part of becoming part of a group, is to be able to let your hair down, is to show that you don't think you're better than other people. And one of the best ways to do that is to use salty language. That is normal human behavior. And here is Timothy Jay on the various uses of swearing. It's humor, it's bonding, it's self-denigration, it's storytelling. Jay has written about swearing research that shows physiological benefits as well. Melissa Moore is also a fan of this research. Well, yeah, so it's basically if you're swearing or hearing swear words, your skin conductance response changes. So, you know, the way your skin conducts electricity, there is a famous ice bucket challenge where you can stick your hand in ice water longer if you're using a swear word than if you're not using a swear word. Someone also did a grip challenge. You can, you know, hold a gripper with more strength and for longer if you're swearing. That's interesting. It'd be fun to try that with current swear words. 
spiritual practices for 2024. <laughs> uh, speaking about the pain I was feeling definitely helped it feel more possible to hold on. And receiving the loving, compassionate swears back from those friends inspired me to hope. Feeling the presence of this community and the bonds here meant um, I didn't feel alone, even in the midst of the worst pain. And the sun did come. <laughs> this is the same live oak in the backyard several months after the ice storm. I wasn't certain it was going to survive, but it did, and so did I. It's been three years now since that painful season. And they say that when a tree grows, the first year it sleeps, the second year it creeps, the third year it leaps. And in this season of life I'm in now, I feel a vibrancy, a vitality, a strength, an expanding understanding of love that I never imagined possible. And that's the paradox at the heart of the Christian story. This wisdom that hope and pain are woven together from the beginning. So friends, this Advent season, may we help one another find ways of holding on, holding on to our awareness that you are loved, you are so loved. I love you. You are loved with a love that you don't have to earn or fight for. A love you don't have to hustle or pay for. And may we be reminded that pain can be transformative in ways we cannot imagine in the moment. And may we be courageous with our trusted friends to speak about the pain we're experiencing and receive back those loving swear words of compassion that inspire us to hope and hold on. I'll leave us with this prayer by Cole Arthur Riley. So take an inhale with me. Exhale loudly. God of complicated hope, we confess that we have made for ourselves a dainty hope. But it is difficult to accept the hope of inspirational quotes when we see the traumas of the world clear and constant. Many of us have had language of hoping in God wielded against us as a way to keep us from the lament and anger and justice we were meant for. Protect our hope from toxic positivity, that we could name the truth of our deepest longings and face a waiting marked by pain and want. We believe. Forgive our unbelief that what is will not always be. Help us learn to allow our dreaming to be a deep, guttural groan, a promise that we can recline into, a place where we can catch our breath. In the name of unconditional love, the embodied one who knows our pain and the spirit who moves us toward hope. Amen.